Hello and welcome to Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And today we've seen The French Dispatch, mm-hmm. Wes Anderson's new film. We've done one Wes Anderson film on the podcast before, Isle of Dogs, which was terrific. Yes. It's an animated thing. And I love Grand Budapest Hotel. That was good. And he's made a bunch of decent movies, although I think those are the only... Uh, I've seen Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. I saw one liked. I've seen the... the the Tenenbaums Royal Tenenbaums I couldn't make it through that but that was about a decade and a half ago that I tried to watch it no I like that Um, well he's got I mean that's one of his best regarded still I think I could make it through the life aquatic Uh, it lost me I've seen Bottle Rocket but I can't remember very much about it and then what was the other one where they go through India Darjeeling Limited. The Darjeeling Limited, I very much liked as well. I haven't seen that. Fantastic Mr. Fox is also very well regarded. Yeah, I like that. And um, he made Moonrise Kingdom and Rushmore, again, neither of which I'm familiar with. Uh, Yeah, I've seen Moonrise Kingdom as well. That felt kind of, you know, like. I mean, visually it was very interesting as well. It was all shot like old Kodak films. But again, I don't remember very much about it, really. So. So his films have a style and a look and a tone to them that he's associated with being quirky, being twee. Yes. Um, he has a cast that returns to work with him all the time. Mm. And this film has them and countless more. I mean, it's, mm. it must be the biggest and best cast he's assembled for a film. Yes, it's got everyone, maybe. Um, let me just give you a quick read out of some of the names. Bill Murray, Owen Wilson, Elizabeth Moss, who's there to do almost nothing, but yes. she's in it. Jason Schwartzman. And Jack yes. Heaton's the narrator, Tilda Swinton, Benicia del Toro, Adrian Brody, Lea Seydoux, Henry Winkler, uh, Denis Menochet, Francis McDormand, Timothy Chalamet, <laughs> Jeffrey Wright, who I think is the best thing in the film, Matthew Amalric, Stephen Park, Liev Schreiber, Edward Norton, Willem Dafoe, yes. Saoirse Ronan. Um, it's, a, it's an incredible I, cast. I didn't like Jeffrey Wright, though I think everyone, almost everyone is wonderful. And Saoirse Ronan is at her most beautiful, that shot which goes from black and white to colour. It's like, my God, you know. So the film is about um, a foreign bureau in France in a, in a little fictional town called Ennui sur Blasé. Mm. Um, French foreign bureau of a Kansas magazine. And the film is based on The New Yorker. It's really based on Wes Anderson's love of The New Yorker. And mm. if you haven't got that from what happens in the film or the, kind of the general tone of the magazine you definitely get it right at the end, where in the credits you get these fictional covers of the magazine, mm. and they all look like New Yorker covers. You know? yes. The film begins by detailing what will happen in the event of Bill Murray's death. Mm. He's the editor of the French Dispatch, and it's in his will that when he dies, the magazine will have one final issue and then cease publication, and it will reprint three previous articles. And what we see is those three articles. Mm. We see them enacted, we see the stories that led to them, and we see the, the, the writers who were involved... Tilda Swinton is one, Jeffrey Wright's another, the third is Francis McDormand. We see them participating in the stories, we see the stories evolve and take place, they're based around the May 68 student protests, modern art, and I think these are based, or at least some of them are based to some extent on, again, real New Yorker pieces, but they are fictional. So it's an anthology film. And I think for me, it's one of his weakest. I am a fan of Wes Anderson, and actually I just love being in his world. I love the quirkiness, I love the wit, I love the imagination. Uh, and so I don't kind of much mind where he takes me. It took me, it took me a while to get in tune with him because, you know, I remember seeing 
um, the Royal Tannenbaums and kind of feeling that it was somehow important and significant, but that I personally wasn't in tune with that sense of humour. You know, mm. Well, um, that certainly was the case with me when I first tried to watch it. Yeah, I've I've since grown to to understand his. Yes, tone. I have. Um, so this is a film that you know I enjoyed on that level, right? And there were there were visual moments again that are just so delightful and pleasurable. Just kind of you know what he does with with the visuals. I mean, you know, uh, Owen Wilson on his bike. You know, that kind of feels mm. like a cartoon and. You know, then the joke, I mean, they're just, um, they're kind of just pleasing. It's not ha-ha funny, you know, but kind of, uh, you know, there are kind of low-level, constant delights in the visual. But I also, I, I mean, I, ha- I also have real problems with it, right? Because I thought, you know, a smarter filmmaker or a more generous one would have made that film in New York. Why do you need to go to France to make a film about the New Yorker? Yeah, even if it is like the French Dispatch. Yeah, it's obviously stories about France for the New Yorker. Except it's not really, is it? Yeah, why can't you make a film that's witty and slightly ironic and, you know, and distance and kind of utopian in America? (laughs) The magazine, The New Yorker, is about American sophistication. Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, And wit. Yes. And it did have, you know, letters from Paris or whatever. Yeah, it did have like you know, contingents riding from Paris. But why this film about New Yorker and New Yorker-inspired wit and concerns, why that had to be translated to France, why you can't imagine that happening in America is troubling to me. Um, Maybe for the same sort of reason that the Grand Budapest Hotel was the Grand Budapest Hotel and not the Grand, you know... Illinois Hotel. No, but that makes a different kind of sense to me because the Grand Budapest Hotel was very much kind of based on Lubitsch and so on. And the, I'm not saying that uh, Wes Anderson can't make a film about, you know, traveling on a train through India or going in the Grand Budapest Hotel. Mm-hmm. But this is a film that is based on the New Yorker, right? It's not based on, you know, a grand hotel in Budapest, right? <laughs> so while you can't make a film that's based on the New Yorker in America, it's troubling to me. Mm. Okay. Yeah, something to think about. Why? Why does this kind of sophistication and elegance of attitude, you know, and talk of revolution and modern art, why does it have to come from ennui sur blasé or blasé sur ennui? Or yeah, it is. Why can't you imagine that being possible in the United States? Yeah, it's it's an it's an interesting. It's at least a problem. Something to think about. You know, why an American director, yeah, kind of taking off of an institution, yeah, of American journalism and letters, mm. can't imagine doing that in America. Mm. Yeah, fair enough. Maybe he imagined it and thought it would be better in France. Well, he clearly did, <laughs> you know, but what that says about him, mm. you know, uh, and what that says about his views, yeah, yeah, of those attitudes in America is very telling. Um, so... So I mean, that's it's, it's, it's an interesting point, and one I hadn't considered, and I I so took it as read that this was the kind of place he would be interested in. I mean, it's 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 fictional, obviously, but it's it's the kind of tone. It, it speaks to that sort of tweeness, quirkiness, overseas, you know, funny things happen there, mm. sort of thing. Um, it made it made a, a kind of 
instinctive sense to me that it fits in Wes Anderson's world, you know. Mm. But you, you're right. I mean, you know, a lot of that kind of sophistication, irony, you know, the concerns with modern culture and cocktail hour, <laughs> you know, and new thinking. I mean, those words, what the New Yorker magazine brought in a kind of high middle brow tone to American mm. letters and culture. I mean, right. there's no reason... So, if you think about the three stories that we're told in the film, um, one set around the May 68 student rights, there's no reason that you couldn't imagine a similar story. In Vietnam or... Well, in America. Or in America, um, demonstrations around, you know, uh, Malcolm X or whatever, yeah. really. Uh, the first um, story is about um, this uh, criminal, um, this murderer kill two people and he's in prison and while he's doing his life sentence he he does his art he was an artist before and he does these great works of art and they're commodified and taken on by this um this art dealer who wants to you know basically turn his art into um, mm. something that there's a very expensive market for and he does so again you can imagine that happen. you can imagine that taking place Listen, in cole porter used to build musicals um, around people with money from kansas going to new york you know so like it's entirely conceivable to have done exactly the same stories. Yeah, the know. third the third story, which is about this um, police commissioner, who uh, <laughs> his son is kidnapped. Uh, he has this cook hmm. who cooks very high kind of quality food for him. I somehow find slightly harder to imagine in America. Well, I don't. Still I could. mean, if you think of the Thin Man <laughs> series with William Powell and Myrna Loy. You know, kind of you could imagine something like that. I mean, yeah, it, you, got, it, you can. It, uh, it's it's. It's 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 telling and troubling, you know, that an American director has to go, is only capable of imagining those attitudes in an imaginary Paris. Mm. Um, so so that's my first kind of you know point of contention. The other thing is that I, I mean, his films are all are to me like the Grand Budapest Hotel was so funny, right. I didn't find the same kind of humour in this. I didn't. It's not very funny. It's not very funny. I mean, it's, it's not a drag, and it's amiable all all the time. Yes. But it, there's times where it's trying to get last, and it's not. The audience was pretty dead. You and I are the only ones who laughed at all. Yes. Um, and it was a reasonably full audience, and you know we certainly didn't laugh as much as we'd have liked to. The first story, I, I think, what the film does with its three stories is puts them in ascending order of. Uh, interest. It starts off, the first one is so dead to me. At least whenever Tilda Swinton's on screen. I mean, God bless her, I lo really love her. But when she's on screen, on stage, telling the story, narrating the next bit, I find it completely dead. I didn't like the kind of Esther Ranson thing she had going on with her mm. teeth. It's just a little affectation that doesn't add very much to what is a nothing character anyway. Yeah. Um, I felt that really dead. I did like the Benicio del Toro, Lea Sedu relationship. Dynamic. Yeah. Yes, they were good like together. And certainly the scene where he's in the electric chair. Yeah, that's you know, very, that's that funny. works really nice. <laughs> so yes, there's definitely thing. And then also the, the final thing where he's, he's done this great work of art that he's been pressured to do. Uh, and he's done it as a fresco in the prison wall. Yes. So it can't be removed. And, and um, uh, the art dealer, Adrian Brody, loses his fucking mind. Over Adrian Brody's very good in it as well. Yeah, that, it, it did work very nice. So it definitely had its moments. But, but I did feel my tolerance waning. You know, mm. during that portion of the film, the second story I found more interesting. I found more lively. I think um, Timothy Chalamet 
has the perfect look for it. And God, he's, he's so good. Yeah, he is. Yeah, uh, he just. But the look of him as this sixties revolutionary student with the hair, and then uh-huh. the final <laughs> resolution of that story where he dies, but his image becomes commodified mm. and it becomes a thing on t shirt. You could completely imagine. Yeah, you know, there's a real. Um, you feel that's true. You know, and the last one, uh, where the last one I think is set apart from not only the rest of the film, but also from pretty much anything I've seen of Wes Anderson, although as I've said, it's not very much. The reason that I like Jeffrey Wright so much is I don't think I've ever seen Wes Anderson truck in empathy the way he does with Jeffrey Wright here. Like, he's so normally about irony and detachment and a witty line here and Mm. there. But here, Jeffrey Wright gets a couple of close-ups where he's on the verge of... It's it's when um, uh, Bill Murray comes to give him... He's in prison, he comes to give him the... Uh, yeah, I liked your writing samples and here's an assignment and we can take you on and he, he's in tears with uh, gratitude he says thank you and there's a slowness and a, a bit of time given over to just that shot and an empathy in his face that I just feel wow I don't feel I've seen this in Wes Anderson I before didn't, um, I didn't like it I loved that I thought you know it was like a white saviour moment you know the only black person that appears in Wes Anderson film is to be like, you know, taken out of, you know, misery and into culture by Bill Murray. <laughs> um, I didn't like it, <laughs> mm. and I and I didn't like the performance. I thought the performance was like overly sincere. Yeah, it didn't have the stylized kind of polish. the The rest of the performers are all working in the same vein. There's like a kind of a style to the playing of all of them. I think, mm. you know, and. Uh, um, I, I could see that he was trying for that vein, but I, I didn't find it as successful. That's what I think. I don't think he was trying for that vein. I ah. think he was getting a, a different type of performance, and All I right. really loved what he was doing with. Okay. With, so, and whether it was something that is kind of designed, or whether it's just whether it's a failure to get on the same wavelength as everyone, I don't know. But I really liked the result. Okay. Well. Um, yeah, we differ in that. Mm. Um, but I think you know one of the things about. The best of um, the Wes Anderson films is that I always think that they're about something real and I find them moving. So I find them very ironic and distancing and so on. But then there are moments that I find moving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I think, uh, you know, Isle of Dogs. <laughs> yeah, they're just kind of, mm-hmm. you know, moments of real feeling. Yeah, or some of the exchanges between Soshi Ronan and her boyfriend uh, in the Grand Budapest Hotel. I find it, you know, quite moving, really. Um, there's nothing like that here. I, I wasn't touched by any of it. It all felt like play, you know. Well, I mean, I don't mind um, if you like play. I just wish it, it felt... Um, honestly, it just sounds so simple, but I just wish it was better. I, yes, I mean, I think that, you know... If all it, of I it, couldn't work out what it was about, for one yes. thing. It's like this love of journalism, this love of the New Yorker. Okay, but it's... I feel like I'm just kind of treading water here. Yeah. Um, I didn't feel that invested in pretty much anything. No, I mean, I think, you know, so one of the things that the film has been accused of is being overly fabulistic, yeah? And I don't mind that, you know? I mean, fables are wonderful. I love fables. Mm. So, you know, but then, you know, fables are always about something, right? Kind of, they always teach a moral lesson or... You know, they kind of educate you about kind of problems in culture or amongst people or, yeah. 
I don't get any of that here. I mean, it's, I, I suppose it's a different way of asking your question. What is it about? Yeah, you know, what is it telling you? What are yeah? What are you meant to get out of it? <laughs> and I can't see it. You know. Yeah, or at least I certainly can't see an overall thematic continuity between the stories. You can maybe see something in each individual story. In the Jeffy, well, but what though? Well, in the so Jeff- but, well, in the Jeffrey Wright one, it ends up with this thing about him having written this entire story, and then it's the bit that he's left out. Jeffrey Wright's not put that in the story, so he says it made him too sad, but it's, according to the editor, that's what it's all about, and you think, oh, this is where, that's where it is, but what is it? What is it? And in the other two stories, there is this thing about commodification, yes. which shows up in both, but what does it add up to? <laughs> 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 yes, uh, yes. It's suppose, such a trifle. Yeah, it is. Um, it 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 did feel like an exercise, really. I kind of, in a way, I don't get it. Yeah, I kind of, I think is that all there is, right? To go to all this trouble and expense and this cast and, like, what are you meant to get out of it, really? Yeah, because you know the style is a pleasure, the visuals are a pleasure. You know, uh, it's not as witty as some of his other works. And and it feels thinner somehow. Well, it feels it's about nothing. I don't I don't get it. Yeah. 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 And the, and the other thing is that, with few exceptions, it's really actually retreading stylistic ground that we have seen before. And there's a point at which, if you're just applying this style to just another story, you, you're feeling a bit bereft by it because, okay, I know it's your style, but what apart from that is the draw. Mm. Um, what I did like was where it um, deviated a little you know so one of the things about Wes Anderson's style typically is static camera planometric looking straight onto Mm. walls and things and that's very much the style throughout here except for these occasional moments there's even a handheld shot at one point Mm. where it goes between the it's in the revolutionary story it's Timothy Chalamet and the girl and Francis McDormand and the camera Mm. swivels and turns around between them it's really remarkable to see in a Wes Anderson Film. There are yes. also occasional shots which you know rotate. So they, they they track around a table. So you see different things, which I thought are interesting. They inject a little bit of life. I also really enjoyed the use of color and black and white because at first I was thinking, why is it switching between the two? I was thinking, is it to do with something being real or not real, something like that? But clearly it's not because it happens in the middle of scenes. You know. Yeah. I think it's just about feeling. It's about feeling. We need to see. We need to feel the intensity, the emotional intensity of something here. Mm. You know. So particularly when you get the um, the meal that that brilliant chef has prepared, and it's it's in a split screen. So on the right, in black and white, you see the people enjoying it, and on the left, you see in color shots of the meal mm. as and you're you're told this is what the food was. And I'm going, yeah, if that's in black and white, you don't feel it. Mm. You have to see the, the colour. You need to see the richness of this food mm. to get it. Mm. Same thing with her eyes. You know, that's in black and white, the kid talking to mm. Saoirse Ronan. He said, have you got blue eyes? And then she comes down and they are bright blue and you see it. Mm. You know, it's, and I, I like the way it, it, I think it totally operates on a level of feeling. That that's when we'll go into colour, when you need to feel something. Yeah, except we don't feel very much. No, if you feel more, and I liked it. <laughs> uh, no, I get that. Um, anyway, I kind of... It's one of those films that you, you're kind of enjoying as you watch it, and then you leave kind of feeling a bit empty, really. Yeah. So. yeah. Although better than I thought I would at the start, like I say, I do think that tactic of, well, for me at least, putting the better stories at the end mm. um, worked. Because if you, if you ended the film with the 
prison story, I think you'd feel... I think it would have been terrible. Also, <laughs> that is a stupid story because, you know, is he saying something about modern art? You know, is he saying that it's all a scam? Well, he's not quite saying that, right? Because, you know, there's that moment where he says, that is a naked lady in this abstract thing, <laughs> right? But, you know, you're trying to, to, yeah, so... And also, I like those pictures. I thought they looked good. Well, I, you know, I, <laughs> uh, I, I don't care one way or another. But, you know, I, I don't understand what he's trying to say about modern art, except it's, you know, it's commodified. You create a market for it. You know, the fact that this guy's a killer, yeah, but is also like, mm. you know, a real artist is something that's marketable. But it's like... I know, I actually thought I, the way it was going to go was when he ends up in the electric chair, he wants to kill himself because he's been doing this art for these people for ages. And I thought it was going to be um, this thing about just a new kind of prison that he's in. Hmm. You know, he's been made to produce great art and he won't do it anymore. It's, it, it's just being used up for his value. Hmm. So I'm like a little bit like, um, in fact, exactly like the Diego hmm. Maradona film we saw, you know, which was all about he's this great football artist mm. who ends up being addicted to drugs and used by the mafia just to get just to extract value from him and then he's discarded when it's no longer, mm. you know, viable. Um I thought that will that'll be what it is, but th- but then his explanation is I haven't got any ideas. Mm. You know? I yeah, I kind of I I didn't get that. And really that whole thing about, you know, the policeman and the relationship with the child and the child getting kidnapped and What's that about, you know? Uh, I mean, the car chases were fun. I loved it when it turned into a cartoon, right? Um, <laughs> but, you know, kind of... I'm, I'm, I'm trying uh, uh, to find meaning and significance, uh, and I don't find any. Um, yeah. When it turned into an animation, the first thing I thought was, well, the reason they're doing that is because there's no way Wes Anderson's going to make this car chase for real. No. Just, it's not in his toolkit. Well, I also thought it was to just save money, really. Yeah, exactly. There's that. And there's a, it reminded me of um, uh, there's an episode of South Park where there's supposed to be this giant war between like heaven and hell at one point, and it's being controlled by Kenny on his PlayStation. And, um, and I mean, for one thing, they make South Park in a week. So like we're never ever gonna have time to animate this. So what they have instead is the angel Gabriel, I think, narrating the fight. Uh, like, oh my god, look at all the elephants over there and the wolf. <laughs> kind of reminded me of that. Like we're never gonna do this properly. We we just we'd be animated. No, I thought this. I thought it was I thought it was clever and it was it did work out and it was well done. Um, but but you felt that the only reason for the animation was really to save money. That there wasn't another world or another realm of feeling or, you know, another mm. expressive potential that the animation would take you to, you know. So, so, so that was all um, very disappointing. I think actually it's it's his most disappointing film for me since, um, you know, the one that was set in Cape Cod and in, in Kodachrome about children. What's it? Moonrise Kingdom. Moonrise Kingdom. Which I kind of... Well, that's fair, because the two in between Moonrise Kingdom and French Dispatch are the Grand Budapest Hotel and Isle of Dogs, which are both terrific. Yeah, okay, so there you go. (laughs) I knew there was a reason. (laughs) All right. Um, I'd still recommend it. If you like Wes Anderson, and this is a big if, right? Because, again, you know, I just kind of assumed that everybody did, and you realise that some people really hate him. But if you like uh, Wes Anderson films, uh, in spite you know, of all the criticisms that we've just made, there is still, for me, a pleasure 
in watching in watching the film yeah you know there were some shots kind of you know the imagination the you know just the style alone is a kind of pleasure though in this case you know it must be said a kind of an empty one well yeah I mean I would say if you like Wes Anderson films you you will see it Mm. it's another Wes Anderson film it's Mm. like he's come up with a new one you know I've got to see it and it has its pleasures Mm. but it is disappointing Mm. and I wouldn't just recommend it to anyone yes yes very well put all right. Well, thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies, and we are on Apple Podcasts, Audible, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter at Eavesdrop Movies, and the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much. Bye bye. <laughs>